Hello and welcome to Abscond with Ethan Renault, episode 27. Um, before I get going with today's show, a couple of little announcements. One, uh, we need <laughs> we need more money in order to keep doing this show. Um, <clears throat> this is connected to my blog and um, YouTube channel and basically everything that I create and I want to be able to put it out there for everybody for free but in order to keep doing that you have to do things like pay for a website pay for hosting for these episodes etc etc like on podcasts they always say support us so we can keep the lights on and I was always like what does that actually mean however my producer Mark who I definitely don't mention enough and don't thank enough for everything that he does my producer Mark is in need of more money to pay for the websites and to do everything that he does on his end. Um, he does such a great job. Big shout out to Mark. Thank you for um, everything that you do. But we need money um, in order to keep uh, this stuff going, basically. Um, like, I, like I always say, I want to be able to put out more podcasts than I do, and I'm making an effort to do that. However, we do need money. So the best way to do that, two ways. One way is to support us on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Ethan Renault. You can sign up for as little as $1 a month. Uh, so think about it. If 100 of you did $1 a month, we'd be getting $100 a month, which would more than cover the expenses of all this and give Mark a little bonus as well. So Patreon.com slash Ethan Renault, or you can head over to Amazon buy any of my books, just type in Ethan Renault. Um, I have four of them on Amazon. And I guess the last way you could help the show is to share it. Tell one of your friends about Abscon with Ethan Renault if they'd be interested in uh, Christian takes on anything in the world. <laughs> From racism to entertainment to today we're going to be talking about um, the best way to read the Bible. Uh, through the lens of covenants. Anyone who'd be interested in basically anything we've talked about, we did a couple shows on homosexuality and the church, and those were really interesting. Um, so go ahead and share those with a friend. Um, anyway, on with the show, episode 27. Before I get into the meat of today's show, I wanted to do a media talk. Media talk. I have finally sat down with Rob Bell's book, Love Wins. Um, I was kind of like nervous to read it for many years um, because like, you know, like ever like uh, what was his name? John Piper famously tweeted at him, farewell, Rob Bell, when he wrote that book, because he saw it as such a departure, Piper saw it as such a departure from evangelical tradition, or I should say orthodox faith. He was like, this guy is a heretic now. And I was scared <coughs> if I read it, Rob Bell's arguments would be so convincing that I would also fall off the path of orthodoxy and become a heretic myself. But I read it, I'm, I'm near the end, and I'd say two things. One, Rob Bell's arguments when he tries to, to upend the traditional view of hell 
they're not that strong. Um, a lot of his arguments, for, coming from me, coming from someone who's very familiar with the Bible, um, his arguments kind of rip a bunch of different verses out of context, throws them together kind of haphazardly in a way that if you weren't familiar with the Bible, you would read it and say, oh, you know, this, this makes a lot of sense. But, but to someone like me, I'm like, this isn't that strong of an argument if you actually open up your Bible and read those verses in context and see what those authors are actually saying. The other thing I'd say is I don't see, I, I, have, I have yet to see why John Piper tweeted that. Because Rob Bell seems to be asking a lot of questions. He seems to be maybe, maybe nudging people in a direction of universalism, which is like the removal of hell, all people will be saved type of theology. He kind of moves in that direction, but he doesn't say anything, I think, that's like extra biblical. He doesn't say anything that's outside the bounds of orthodoxy. Um, in other words, I think, it, the, I think the book got a lot more um, uh, criticism and pushback than it actually deserves now that I'm actually reading the book itself. Um, so those are two thoughts on Rob Bell's Love Wins. Um, it's, it's also not my favorite of Rob Bell's books. He, he does his best when he's just kind of like running free with creativity and, um, inspiring different ways to communicate about the Bible. Whereas this book, it's more dry and he's just kind of writing, building an argument more than he is, um, being free and expressive and fun and, and all that stuff. So I don't even think it's his best book. So, anyway, those are my thoughts on Rob Bell's Love Wins. This has been... Media Talk. Okay, so I've had this series in mind for a while now. Um, I've wanted to do it because uh, this is, far and away, my absolute favorite topic to talk about when it comes to the Bible. We're talking about covenants, and some of you might be saying... You know, that's kind of maybe an archaic word, a strange word. Why would this one thing help me understand the Bible better? And um, over the course of the next couple episodes, I don't know how many it'll be, probably somewhere between three and ten <laughs> episodes, um, it'll be me talking about covenants and why, until you understand covenants, you cannot understand the Bible. Um, or maybe to put it a different way, you will see the Bible in color and realize even reading it in black and white because you didn't understand the language all throughout the Bible of covenants. Um, so today is like an introduction. Uh, what is a covenant? What on earth am I talking about when I talk about a covenant? And the best example of a covenant that everybody in the world is familiar with is marriage, right? Um... A marriage is a covenant, and a covenant is a very, very intense promise or blood oath or contract or treaty, uh, but it's more serious than all of those because normally, um, to technically refer to a covenant, you're referring to a blood covenant, meaning blood has to be shed to show the seriousness of this covenant that you're making. Um, you could think of two little boys 
in the woods maybe who like cut their hands open and then shake hands like to show the seriousness of their their whatever secret that they're making like they they shed their blood they mixed their blood and they shook hands and that's how serious they were um blood covenants are kind of like that so marriage is a covenant we'll come back to that i'll keep pointing back to marriage as a covenant and making these connections and you'll say oh my gosh i never even realized that i never even realized that um but we'll come back to that in every single covenant there are three main elements three main elements of every covenant um the first is blood there will be blood in every covenant that we look at uh the second is blessings and curses or you could say vows or rules of the covenant. What is it that you are establishing? And then the third thing is a sign slash seal slash symbol. A sign, seal, or symbol. Um, and those are equally fascinating as well. So three main, three main elements of a covenant. Blood, blessings and curses, and a sign, seal, or symbol. So there are six... Depending on who you ask, I'd say there are six main covenants in the Bible. Um, you have Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, and then Jesus with the new covenant. Those are the six major covenants we're going to be looking at, as well as the covenant of marriage thrown in there. And uh, so why don't we get started? I, I'm not going to do them in chronological order because some of them are easier to understand, and you see these black and white, um, like one, two, three, the three elements kind of laid out in biblical language for uh, these covenants. So I'm going to start with Noah's covenant. And so if you open up your Bible to Genesis 9, you'll see in my Bible, in the NIV, it has like this uh, heading, and it literally just straight up says, God's covenant with Noah. I'm sure that you, if you read your Bible a lot, you kind of see that and you might skim over it and be like, oh, a covenant with Noah, and not give it much thought without realizing that covenants, again, are like the bedrock or the skeleton of everything else in the Bible. Everything else happens on these grounds of covenant. Um, the last thing to know about the covenants, probably not the last, I'll probably keep thinking of different things to add. Um, all these covenants build on each other. So... Whenever I teach on these covenants, I have a lightsaber, you know, one of those ones that has like the tubes and it goes like, tut, 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 and you have like the different tubes that come out of the lightsaber. So Adam, God's covenant with Adam is like the handle. And then out of that comes the first tube, which is Noah. And then, you know, so on. And they build on each other. So in other words, you can't have the new covenant with Jesus without the previous five leading up to it. They build on each other. You can't just kind of cut off Jesus and just read the New Testament and say, oh yeah, I understand the Bible. Because in reality, you don't understand the entire Bible. <laughs> you kind of have a couple nice Bible verses that you've memorized in Sunday school without really any understanding of the Bible as a whole. So hopefully these covenants will help us do that. So God's covenant with Noah in chapter 9. This is right after Noah comes off the ark. He gets back on dry land. What's the first thing he does? He lands, builds an altar to the Lord, takes some of all of the clean animals and clean birds. 
He sacrifices the burnt offerings to the Lord. And the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of man, even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. What do we have right there? We have bloodshed because Noah killed some animals. Some people might even say that the bloodshed is also um, the death of every human animal on earth that wasn't in the ark. You could say that as well. However, it makes more sense to say that it's this instance of Noah sacrificing because that's kind of like at the point where they're, quote unquote, shaking hands, you know, like making the deal itself. Noah makes the sacrifices. God smells the aroma and makes this promise never to flood the earth again. But there are blessings and curses. There's rules for both people in this covenant. It's a bilateral covenant. It's a two-way covenant. Um, so God has made his promise to Noah, saying, I won't flood the earth again. And then in chapter 9, he gives him a couple, uh, he gives him four stipulations for Noah to follow. Um, he says, be fruitful and increase the number and fill the earth. So in other words, multiply, repopulate the earth, because everyone on earth had just been wiped out. Uh, be fruitful and increase in number. Then he says, uh, you can eat whatever you want, eat the animals, eat the plants, everything I give to you to eat. Uh, we don't know if that was the case before, because Adam and Eve you know, ate fruit and vegetables. Uh, we don't know if they ate animals, but there's a good chance they were vegetarians. Now God's giving to Noah animals. And he says, but here's some rules. Um, you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. For your lifeblood, I will surely demand an account. He says, also, don't murder other humans. I will demand an account for the life of your fellow men. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made man. So he kind of gives him these rules um, pretty straightforward, pretty simple. Don't eat blood, be fruitful and increase, you can eat anything you want, and don't murder. Pretty, pretty simple rules, right? Um, so those are the blessings and curses, the second element of that covenant. And the third one, if I ask you to think about it, I'm sure that you could name the sign, seal, or symbol of this covenant. You just never realized before that it was a covenantal symbol in the sense that Covenants have symbols. The sign of this covenant is the rainbow. And God specifically says uh, in verse 12, This is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. So, God could not be more clear that he has made a covenant and is making a sign of this covenant with Noah and with the entire earth. He says, Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on earth. You repeated that like four different times in one paragraph. So if you're reading the Bible 
And you keep, like if you were an alien, you pick up the Bible for the first time, you would see covenantal language all throughout it. You wouldn't see anything but covenantal language. And you would say, what on earth are these covenants? Why do they appear everywhere? However, unless you've been taught like how to read this covenantal language, you just kind of breeze past them and focus on other things that evangelicalism tends to focus on, like the atonement and less Jewish, more simple to understand concepts like the sacrificial system, which falls under the category of covenants. So you, you can miss this while reading it right there on the page. So God says to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have made. God is very clear that this is the sign. A couple things about that. In Hebrew, that word God used for rainbow actually doesn't say rainbow. It says like a war bow, like a bow and arrow, because they would look at the sky and see this thing that's the same shape as the bows and arrows they used to hunt or to kill. So if you see this bow, which way is it pointing? Is it pointing down at the earth or is it pointing up at God? A rainbow obviously points up at God. So God's saying, like, this is my war bow. This is a bow aimed at me so that if I am to break this covenant again, you know, may I be dead. You know, <laughs> like, may my blood be shed. Um, obviously, we know God does keep his promises. He does not break his promises. And, um, you know, that's, that's a phrase I grew up hearing as a Christian, um, like God keeps his promises. God always keeps his promises, but I never really understood what his promises are until I started reading about covenants and realized that it's not so much that God keeps his promises because that's way too soft. Like you can promise anything and then kind of break it. You should say God keeps his covenants. When God makes a covenant, it is serious and he does not break his covenants because they are set in blood and his people, us, often break these blood covenants, and yet God never breaks his covenant. That word he remembers, um, which verse is it? In Genesis 9.15, he says, I will remember my covenant between me and you. Does that mean that God was like going to forget? He's like, ah, I feel like flooding the earth today. It starts to rain, and then a rainbow shows up, and he goes, oh, now I remember. Shoot, I can't, I can't flood the earth. It's less like that, and it's more like a, a constant remembrance. Like, I will not forget this because I will always remember it not to flood the earth again. Um, the same way that, uh, if you think about marriage, what's one of the signs that somebody is married? They usually wear a ring on their ring finger. Does that mean that every time they're not looking at their ring, or every time they take their ring off, that they forget that they're married. No. If they're a good husband or wife, they should always be remembering the vows that they made on their wedding day. They should always remember them. Maybe another word, a better word might be honor them. They will always honor those vows. So if you're in the grocery store, you're not checking out other girls. You're not looking at other guys when you're in the gym. You are remembering this covenant that you've made and you don't just remember it when you see the sign, and yet the sign is still there as a visible, physical representation of the invisible promise that you've made. Does that make sense? 
That's kind of the purpose of a sign. A sign will always be a visible representation of an invisible reality, an invisible promise or seal that you've made. Um, so another one for marriage, I would say this is the most important sign, seal, or symbol of the marriage covenant, um, which is sex. If you think about it, a husband and wife come together in many invisible ways. They trust each other. They confide in each other. They come together emotionally, mentally, um, spiritually. You know, they're married. If they're if you're Christians, you're married in the church before the body of Christ, and um, there's a spiritual pledge. Like there's these invisible promises that you keep to one another. Where do those invisible promises come together physically? The best. The most uh, clear manifestation of this is when a husband and wife come together in the bed um, because they're physically acting out all of these invisible promises that they've made to one another. So I think that um, sex is the sign, seal, symbol of the marriage covenant. Uh, but that, a couple things. That doesn't mean that doesn't mean that when you're not having sex, you're not married, right? That'd be ridiculous. You can't be having sex 24-7. But when you do come together in that physical uh, manifestation of this promise, this invisible promise, you are um, acting out, you are reminding yourselves, you are kind of refreshing this covenant together with each other. Not that you forget you're not married. Say one of you goes to the hospital for two months. You're not, not married because you're not having sex. But that physical, visible element of your relationship just um, isn't there in the way that it should be. Looking at sex that way, it kind of gives a whole new light to why sex outside of marriage is such a big deal. Um, I don't want to get too sidetracked here, but basically, um, if you think about marriage as a covenant, which it is, and if sex is a central part of that... Um, and let me take it one step further and be really pretty graphic here. So put your big boy and girl pants on. If every single covenant requires blood, including marriage, you might ask, where is there blood in the marriage covenant? And the answer is really kind of ancient and it might seem almost barbaric and outdated to us today. But human females are the only organism on earth that have a hymen uh, which gets broken the first time they have penetrative sex, right? Um, so human beings are the only ones, human females, are the only organisms on earth with that hymen. Um, of course, a couple caveats. Um, I'd say that this is really, really interesting, and it's it's more symbolic at this point maybe than literal, because I know that... Um, these can get broken, you know, with a tampon or um, if you're playing sports and something like happens or you overextend something, it can also break. That doesn't mean like, oh, no, I didn't actually make a covenant with my husband because the blood wasn't there <laughs> or 
obviously for people who uh, get married and have had sex before. This doesn't mean that you're going to have a terrible marriage because there was no bloodshed in your marriage the first time that you consummated the marriage. Um, and by the way, that word consummated is also a covenantal term. Like it, it's the sealing of this covenant that you're entering into. Um, how do you enter into it? How do you seal it? You seal it with the blood. Um, it's, I think it's just more of a, a cool symbolic fact of how God made all of this to work to show that if you enter into a covenant with someone, it is serious. It's so serious that there is bloodshed. Um, you know, uh, I think in, in a lot of Muslim countries, this might still be a practice. I know it used to be a practice pretty widely that after husband and wife first got married, they would do it on a clean white sheet and, um, and then they'd bring the sheet out <laughs> and show the blood to everybody, showing that uh, the female was, in fact, a virgin. Um, obviously, that is barbaric and um, a total invasion of pi privacy and not a good practice. But it has the, its roots in this covenantal symbolism for there to be bloodshed to seal a covenant. So in the marriage covenant, you have the blood, you have the vows. Um, we call them vows. Everyone's familiar with vows. You're, you're promising just to love this person, to be with them, to be faithful to them forever, uh, or until death. Until death do we part, not forever. And then you have the sign seal symbol. You have the ring, and then you have sex, the physical representation of the invisible promise to each other. That is the Noahic covenant. If you were a Hebrew, you'd say Noahic, with like that hard H, Noahic, Noahic covenant. Um, that's a pretty straightforward one. I chose to start with that one simply because it's all pretty self-contained. Right there, you have the blood and the sacrifices. You have God promising never to flood the earth again, and he gives Noah these four rules to follow for life, Noah and his offspring. And then you have the rainbow or the war bow. And God says it four times. This is the sign of the covenant I'm making, um, that I will never flood the earth and destroy life again. So you have the blood, you have the vows, and you have the sign seal symbol and the rainbow. All right there. Um, this is the first covenant we're going to look at. But we're going to look at all of them, make our way through the texts, and I promise you, they only get more interesting from here. Um, Abraham is what I'm going to do next time. Um, he is absolutely my favorite covenant to look at, and your mind will repeatedly be blown as we go through the Abrahamic covenant, I promise. So tune in next time. Stay, stay subscribed, or subscribe if you're not already. Um, check out the Patreon page, patreon.com slash Ethan Renault. Um, you can also check me out on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. They're all Ethan Renault perks of being the only ether we know on the internet um <clears throat> also shoot me an email at ethan at ethanreno.com um i really love hearing feedback i'd love to hear what you thought of this episode or previous episodes i would also love to hear questions if you say like i'd really love to hear you talk about this can you unpack this or explain this from a christian perspective for me um i really those are actually really helpful and they often become some of my best uh, blog posts or podcast episodes um, because that's what people want to hear about. 
So I love when people give me uh, topic ideas to discuss. Um, so anyway, I'm going to wrap that up here. This has been Covenants Part 1. Next time we'll have Part 2, looking at the Abrahamic Covenants. This is Epscon with Ethan Renault. Thanks so much for listening. I'll talk to you very soon. Bye. Yeah,